Did you do it? Huh? What? Did you do it, son? Do what? You know what. Honestly, mate, I haven't got the foggiest. Oh, don't act all innocent with me, sunshine. I know what you did. Sunshine? Oh, constable, please be gentle. Sure, you're all sweetness and sugar on the outside, but inside you've the raging soul of a harpy. All right, all right, a bit much. Do you just want to tell everyone what I did? Sorry, what I allegedly did so that we can move this show along? Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. For me to wrap it up in a neat little package, tie up all the loose ends you left strewn all over the deck. Sounds perfect. Well, it ain't gonna happen, baby. Wait, 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 which deck? The upper deck, the lower deck, the deck of cards, the deck of halls. We're all just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic now, all thanks to you. You sound unhinged, man. You're rambling. You know what? Right about now, I think you did it. Me? Yeah, you. Well, I couldn't possibly. I wouldn't even dream of... All very well pointing the finger, isn't it? But how do you like having the finger pointed at you? Oh, Lord, save me in my hour of need. Oh, there's no use praying to a higher power. You did it. You did it. You did it. In the smoking room with an ornamental pineapple. My grandma gave me that pineapple. I know. And she'll be rolling in a grave at what you've done. She's still alive. For now. You monster. Take him away, boys. All right, get in there. You're going down. I want a piece of him. You think you're pretty hard, huh? Well, we got everything we need on you. But I'm not a criminal mastermind. I'm Teo. Yep, and I'm not Hercule Poirot. I'm Ben. And this is... Pixel Vision. Right. Oh, God, I'm so distraught about my notes, about my show notes. Oh, well, yeah, and it sounds like you've got a lot to say as well, which is good. Yeah, I do have a lot to say. Which is a good thing. I mean, I always have a lot to say. Well, you know, I usually feel like I have a lot to say as well, but with this one, I don't know. I just didn't feel like I had a lot to say. And so I was a bit nervous about this recording. So I thought, it's a small game, and have I got that much to offer? I mean, it is a small game. That is true. Should we quickly say what the game is? <laughs> The game is Overboard by Inkle. Yeah. Inkle Studios. I don't think I've played any of Inkle's other games. Have you played 80 Days or... Mm, yeah, I've played 80 Days, but not Heaven's Vault. I have Heaven's Vault on our list of games to play. That's more of like a more traditional puzzle experience, I think. But 80 Days, like you can definitely see the relationship to this game in that for sure. Okay. We should say, before we start talking about this game... This is a spoiler episode. Oh yeah, I was I had that in the back of my mind to say as well. This game is impossible to talk about. In some ways you make your own pathway through it. Like I'm really surprised that both of us managed to find so many different little things or actions to take in the game that the other one didn't. But yeah, especially between two of us, you'd think that it's not like if you took a third person, they're gonna have all those unique stories as well. Odds are you're gonna find like a good chunk of some of the things which we've talked about in this episode. So if you want to come to it fresh, definitely play the game before listening. And it won't take very long. Like, I think I played about four hours in the end or something like that. I definitely played a lot more than that. But yeah, it doesn't take very long. Each playthrough doesn't take very long. In fact, if I hadn't been late to this recording, quite embarrassingly late, apologies to you again, <laughs> my intention was to have a quick game before jumping on so that it would be even fresher in my mind. My husband has been murdered. So the game is overboard and you think it was a bit thin. Um, I don't think it's thin. Like it's, well, I mean, 
the fun of the game is the branching dialogue trees, right? But how many different directions can they really go? I mean, quite a lot, because every room that you start in, you have a conversation with usually one person or at least one person, possibly two. Mm. And each choice you choose of three, it's three options always along the bottom, mm -hmm. spirals into another three. And then from that, there's another three. And from that, there's another three. And the order you enter those rooms and the time you enter those rooms, it's a bit like death mm. loop in this regard, I thought. Yeah. Depending on the time of day and the time on the clock. And it can be really precise. Like I remember entering a room at like 9.04 or something. And then like at 9.14, a different person would have been in that room when I went back another time. And you have this sort of groundhog day momentum to it, which we'll get into that mechanic. So I actually think probably the most limited bit in the game Aside from the number of characters, because I think there's only like seven or something or eight. Mm. Other than the number of characters, I think actually the number of rooms is what makes it feel quite constrained. Especially because, mm. and I don't know if this is about a future unlockable or whether it was just they didn't bother to design them. Or I didn't find the thing in the game that unlocks these. But the map of the boat has two rooms that are greyed out. There's just nothing in them. Did you notice that? Mm. I did, yeah, I just assumed that, but yeah, now that you mention it, it is kind of odd. I just took it for granted that, like, these were rooms in the ship which I wasn't allowed to go. They were just there to fill out the space so that the ship looked like a ship. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be that, for sure. But that's quite a strange aesthetic decision, isn't it? They could have just made each room a little bit bigger and then it would have fit yeah, no, on the boat. Like, it's not like it's a real boat they're having to, like, they're having to depict. They designed the <laughs> boat, so they could have just made each room a little bit bigger to not leave them mm. with a gap at the end. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you can find a key or you can unlock a new room or they're, like, leaving room for an expansion, although that doesn't seem very inkle. Mm. I didn't think about the rooms, but I did feel like I was maybe missing something with this game. So I did do a little bit of digging online and I didn't read anything about unlockable extra rooms. Okay. So yeah, as far as my research goes, it is what it is when you load it up. Well, I bet that was extremely thorough research. So <laughs> Oh, it was. <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah. You got a book, a weighty tome next to you on the desk, I expect, <laughs> with an index of all the points we're going to be covering. Um, all right. Before we do any of that, though, do you want to give us your Taya monologue? Maybe it was needed sooner, but uh, yeah, we've, so we've been playing Overboard. It is a murder and mystery game where the hook is that you are not solving the murder, but you are the murderer, or to be precise, the murderess. So you start the game on a ship seven hours away from America, and you've boarded this ship with your husband. You are Mrs. Villainsley, aptly named Villainsley, and your husband, Mr. Villainsley, and you push him overboard and for the next seven hours you have to try and get away with the crime. The way the game plays out is through these branching dialogue trees so depending on what you say to each of the people on, on board the ship over those seven hours depends on whether you can get away with it or not. And you're traveling from Liverpool to New York right? Yeah. I think so. My expression while you were talking, by the way, lit up because I only just realised that villainously, as in villain, I don't know how I'd been pronouncing that in my head. I guess French or something like villain. I don't know. I hadn't made that mm. obvious, that very fucking on the nose connection yet right over my head. 
So maybe that's why I thoroughly enjoyed this game and didn't find it remotely thin. Mm. And you did because you got it all straight away in one glance. Whereas I had to replay and replay and replay and dig deeper. Yeah. And I only really, to be honest, I'd be happy to carry on playing it actually Mm. just to be clear on it like i thought it was really cool like it's a small experience but it was a good experience and i thought exactly the same thing about 80 days where the hook in that is that you're trying to get around the world in basically as few dialogue choices as you can so in each country you'll have i think maybe it's three options just like this Um, and then depending on what you pack your bags and what travel decisions you make you can get around the world quicker but whereas in that game it felt like there was bit more of a purpose and forward momentum to it in this game i do a playthrough and then i just want to change one thing about my playthrough to see what happens differently almost like treating it more like a puzzle with like process of elimination so like uh, what happens if i change this one variable but to do that you've got to click through <laughs> even though it gives you a fast forward button you've got to click through all of the dialogue options that you did last time and that is just really repetitive you don't really have to click through them though because if you are gonna the fast forward button i think is under acknowledged in that assessment i would say you can literally just click and hold that fast forward button and it races you through every scene like bloop 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 bloop, Mm. just choosing all your previous choices until you get to the scene that you're wanting to do something different and then you can try it Mm. i mean you have to be a little bit cautious and i agree that that can grow repetitive so on this repetition thing i thought it was great like everything actually Mm. about this game from the moment i opened it up i was like fuck i'm gonna love this this is so good like it pops off the screen the artwork is beautiful and Mm. so is the music like immediately as it fades off of this boat and the ocean and there's this awesome like maybe it's the ink spots or someone singing in the background an acapella group just brilliant really evocative of the setting of the ambience and then you get into it it's pre-second world war it's talking in anticipation of kind of the rise of hitler there's reference to oswald mosley i think all of that stuff really sets the scene what do you think about just that element first in terms of like narrative storytelling here definitely you're right it's a tight game and everything in it has been designed really yeah just as you say really really well the political context i thought was interesting well one because it's not a time that you often see like portrayed is it before the second world war like with appeasement and all that kind of thing and sort of the fascist goings on in the uk with oswald mosley but i also thought that was an interesting device because although you play the villain you obviously don't want to feel too bad about the person that you've killed. And so it's like, we'll make him a fascist and then it's just totally chill if we kill him. Yeah, I thought that was perfect as well. Agreed. Because you're not meant to be a sort of traditional hero, really. I mean, you're kind of an anti-hero, but you're not Mm. in the sense that you do kill him, but it's not because you've been like abused or anything. You are flat out a gold digger. Mm. You've married into this wealth that he's got and you're hoping to essentially capitalise on that. And you can't stand your husband. Yeah. But it turns out that he's bankrupt anyway. So it's like, oh, well, I've entered into this marriage of convenience, but (laughs) I haven't actually got any convenience from it whatsoever. Yeah, which prompts the murder though, right? Because then Mm. you're going for the life insurance, 
But when you complete the game on what I guess is considered a perfect run, where you kill them and get away with it, get the insurance money and tie up all the loose ends, because mm. if you don't tie up all loose ends, someone will start blackmailing you once you're off the boat. Um, so it kind of gives you an incentive. Like the very first time I got away with it, I was like, yes, I completed it. And it wasn't even that hard. Like I did it in like three or four turns. But then it was like someone starts blackmailing me and it's like, oh, I did something imperfectly. I wanted to go back and do it again. Mm. And even when you complete those three things and you manage to get the insurance money, get away clean, when you land back on the boat and begin again, it gives you like little challenges. Like, can you get someone else to confess to the crime now? Mm. I just thought that was great. It's like you've got a new little objective each time you play. And each time the intro sequence, which is brilliant, it's this really hammy scene on the deck of the boat. We stood together at the rail, Malcolm and I. I told him I could see dolphins playing in the wake of the boat. He leant over to see them. So I grabbed him by the belt. And I threw him overboard. You were talking about how it adds flavor to each replay. So it's not just, oh, new game, new game. New yeah, game, new exactly. Game. It gives you a reason to want to play a game, not only in the objectives, but also, well, it plays really nicely with like player knowledge versus character knowledge so you as the player have a bird's eye view on everything that could happen and so you can make educated choices about which direction to go in but it's really playful with that because when you replay the game for example your character mrs villainsy she'll be like okay this time this time i'm going to be able to do it so it's as if like she sort of knows that she's in a time loop yeah and other characters like weigh in on this as well because they're like oh you have to go and do it again i think anders says if you don't get the life insurance he's like uh maybe try it again but this time frame someone and you're like oh yeah yeah exactly or he'll say like your timing must have been off or something like that yeah 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 i really like that as well but even though they all seem to be aware of that death loop like mechanic of playing again and again and mm. again her player knowledge or rather her character knowledge doesn't have continuity between playthroughs no. so for instance if you find a key and manage to unlock a room you still have to do all the sequences to get that key again the next playthrough mm. or if you find a bit of information out for instance there is a smuggled person, a person being smuggled aboard the ship. And if you identify that person in one playthrough, when you replay the next time, there are no dialogue choices for that person. You can't reference them. You can't you leverage that knowledge in any way unless you rediscover them on board the boat. Mm. So there are a lot yeah. of constraints like that. Mm. Yeah, cool. I didn't find the smuggled person. That's, that's fun. Is that one of the loose ends that you have to tie up? Oh, mate, I feel like you only just scratched the surface. All the things you've said to me so far. So we, unfortunately, we had a little chat as we were getting ready to record the intro. And uh, I wasn't recording in a rookie schoolboy era. But Teo said some very revealing things like, oh, I thought you could only kill five people. And I only knew that because I looked at your achievements. And he also said, what did you say about the steward? Didn't I say that you, you couldn't talk to the maid? You said, surely you can't kill a steward. Kill the steward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, incidentally, for a man who said he didn't like clicking through all the choices, that is the very first dialogue tree in the entire game. You just need to choose the right sequence of options and it lets you really? bosh him over the head with the um, weighted... With the dolphin? dolphin. Yeah. No way. 
<laughs> I knew there'd be something you could do that dolphin. And then you have an amazing sequence of like trying to hide his body under the bed and he doesn't fit and like you can leave his arm out or his foot out and then if you tuck that away then like what do you do with the dolphin because there's blood everywhere. Mm. Every time you take a dialogue choice your time is moving forwards and it's like consistent. So mm. even if it seems like oh this is going to take no time I'm just like washing my hands that's like five minutes go forward. Mm. With pushing the body under the bed for instance it's quite clever because it's like push the body under the bed that takes you forward five minutes but it doesn't go under the bed it's like oh it doesn't fit mm. so that's another five minutes while you push something else under there etc etc if you do it in the wrong order and you first of all hide the dolphin that you've killed him with under the bed which is an option kick it under the bed mm. then when you go to push him in he doesn't fit because there's a dolphin hidden in there and you have to undo it all it's like that sort of stuff it's brilliant. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, you're convincing me already that it was a less than experience than I gave it credit for. This is one thing that I thought about myself as I was playing it, that I thought maybe it's a lack of imagination on my behalf. Because although I kind of knew in the back of my mind that if I, if I just chose like the crazy options, then it could go in lots of different ways. But I didn't feel that motivated or encouraged to do that. I wanted to get to the correct solution. And... So the riskier options, I thought, well, it's useless. Like if I choose this option, I'm definitely going to get caught at the end. And so why would I choose it? I'm going to choose the thing which I think I can actually get away with. Right. Rather than experimenting with it. Because I didn't want to be clicking these dialogue options over and over and over again. This day already happened. What are you saying? It felt real. It felt so real. On this point, mm. I think you were very mistaken because I actually think the game rewards you so much for taking risks throughout. Mm. I mean, even to the point of like, you were surprised at how many characters you can kill. And actually, I've since learned you can kill seven characters. I managed to get five, I think, but you can kill all seven. And mm. for the benefit of this podcast, even though I wanted to just keep playing and try and do that myself, up against the deadline, I just thought I'd just quickly watch a successful playthrough of Killing All Seven. And it has mm. the wackiest special ending ever if you do that. It was redonkulous. What happens at the end of each playthrough is the major calls everyone to the restaurant. So your playthrough just gets interrupted no matter which room you're in. Mm. Anders shows up, the captain, and he just says, oh, you need to come with me. And you can kind of, you've got a few options. Actually, it's quite interesting because one of the options is to just like try and run away. And then he's like, don't do yeah. it. And you can like throw yourself into the sea and drown yourself, which is another good fun ending. Yeah, I did do that. I did do that once, to be fair. Oh, so how many playthroughs did you do then? Uh, Maybe like 10 overall. Okay. I actually got to a point where initially your objective is clear. Like you want to survive till you dock mm. and get away with it. Then you learn, oh, okay, there's some more objectives, you know, get away clean, whatever. And then when you realize you can kill more people, you're like, well, I wonder how many people I can kill. Yeah. So then you're like, I'm going to try and kill everyone on the boat. And that in and of itself was enough to get me into the like tens of playthroughs because I was like, it was actually quite hard figuring out the sequence of events and like making sure, because depending on who you kill in which room, everyone has their own shift pattern throughout the boat. Yeah. Captain Anders, for instance, starts in the bridge. So he's got a view of the top deck. So while he's there, I think he's got a crush on you. So he just lets you kill loads of people and doesn't really intervene. But if it's his little mate who's covering for him on shift, mm. then the bell gets rung every time you get caught and you're scuppered. Mm. 
And that's true of no matter which room you're in, so. I did think that was funny because the most obvious way to kill someone is just exactly how you killed your husband, which is throw them overboard on the on the main deck and so long as anders is at the wheel there's even an option to say like look over to the bridge and you can just see like anders in the distance watching you but you can throw over as many people as you want with anders watching you and it's somehow okay he'll always wait until the end of the game to either dob you in or not yeah it's funny as well because you always try the same mechanics you're like oh lovely view yeah yeah beautiful view yeah i think i saw some dolphins it's like every single time yeah. oh yeah there's dolphins and one of the guy carstairs He's the guy who smuggled a passenger aboard. Mm. And there's a great backstory to him as well. But he's very sceptical. He's like, well, you can't be seeing dolphins because they're not out in this bit of ocean. He's like familiar with it or whatever. Mm. And you're like, well, it must be something. Take a look. And you like keep prompting him. And with someone else, with Clarissa, who witnesses your husband fall to his death, mm. but she doesn't actually see him, whether he was pushed or not. With her, when you push her in overboard she's like oh no i'm not gonna go near and stuff and you're like well you can't have been stood at the rail here because then you wouldn't have seen and she's like yeah i was stood yeah. here are you sure you weren't stood there like trying to reposition her so yeah you can push her in. yeah it's so you can be really really fiendish and monstrous in the game can't you essentially a, a serial killer or um, maybe not a serial killer but <laughs> someone that's just will cover their tracks at any cost like cold cold blooded murder it's not personal sonny it's strictly business. Did you ever try and kill uh, Lady H. Armstrong? So Lady Honoria Armstrong is the um, sort of elderly lady who apparently has been back and forth on the crossing like loads and loads of times. Mm. And she's your classic sort of gossipy pensioner who seems to have mm. an opinion and a little bit of goss on everyone aboard. She's just a sort of bigoted woman. And you have the choice to try and kill her. Did you do that? No, I never killed Lady Armstrong, I don't think. Oh, so she's sleeping and you go in. <laughs> you can look at everything while she's just asleep and leave if you want. Mm. But if you want to kill her, you can pick up the pillow. And rather than just being the option, like smother her, which is the option, it's like five options. So it's like begin to smother her. It's like push it down harder. And then it's like, let go. And if you let go, she wakes up and she's like, what are you doing? And you're like, you're having a nightmare. And she's like, oh, and then it, let, it gives you the option to resume it again while she's awake. <laughs> It's amazing. So you can basically start and stop killing this elderly woman for so long. God, I sound like a sociopath now. But that is how you feel when you're playing the game. It's brilliant. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, you get this pass key, or literal key that opens all the doors on the ship at one point, and so you can go into anyone's bedroom. But I never thought about going into her bedroom and like attempting to murder her as well that's so jokes how did you acquire that passkey well as we've already said captain anders has a has a crush on you he'll suggest uh, through some dialogue options that he meets you in your cabin between 10 and 11 uh, a.m and so yeah after doing the deed he leaves the passkey on the doing what deed i'm not following you know what deed i don't know what deed it's like an intro what are we meant <laughs> you to did done? it you did it yourself. I know you did it. Yeah, but the audience don't know, so I think you should spell it out. <laughs> yeah, all right. You get with Captain Anders in your murdered husband's bed. And from all accounts, it's a delight. Yes. <laughs> the writing is golden. Everybody enjoys the experience. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, actually, to such a degree that, and I think this is so that the clock keeps ticking on while you're there. Mm. If you just choose to get up off the bed afterwards... 
she's like so weak at the knees yeah, yeah. she can't stand up it's like yeah. she's like sighs the options are like sigh giggle try and get up and if you choose try and get up she fails like three times in a row and has to like mm. roll over or laugh or whatever hey mysterious we don't have to act so serious be like nobody's watching only us baby if it feels good then it must be bad how much i want you And this is while Captain Anders is kind of cleaning himself up in the bathroom. Mm. But yeah, this was actually one of my my favourite bits in it, actually, because earlier on in the day... Of course it was. Here we go. Classic Toto. <laughs> filth, mate. No, no. The bit after the filth, you find this key in your husband's jacket, and you can steal Anders' pass key, but he's going to know that you've done that. So you can, like, switch the red tag on the key to the other key and, like, replace it with his so that you've kind of put a fake key there. Oh, I didn't know that. Do you not do that bit? Yeah, I thought that was really nice. And that, like you say, like, with you pushing the bodies under the bed, you feel really conscious of the time moving forwards in those little moments because he's just in the bathroom there, and you have to do all of these steps, like, un- untie the tag, but put it on the new one replace it the thing and you don't know when he's gonna re-emerge at each point the first time you do it anyway you really feel like he could re-emerge at any moment and after you've done it you feel like a sneak thief a professional sneak thief oh that's genius the bit about switching the tags why didn't i think about that that's so annoying so the reason i asked mm. you how you got that pass key is because i got it one of two ways the first way was by killing the steward straight away in that very first conversation bosh him over the head and then Nick is passkey. Ah, uh, yeah, he's got a passkey, isn't he? Mm. And the second way was also from Anders, but I don't know if you did this version. It's where you don't invite him to your cabin. You basically just go up to him on the bridge and start massaging his trousers while he's trying to drive. And you're like, what's yeah. in this pocket? Is this where the key is? And he's like, that's not the key. And you're like, no, it does feel a bit big to be a key. And then while you're doing that without wanting to deliver on the promise of what you're offering in that moment you keep saying Mm. i think if you lent me the key then do you know what i mean and eventually he succumbs Mm. also weak at the knees apparently Mm. yeah i had a lot of those dialogue options but i never actually managed to get him to give me the key but yeah i did do the whole full body search (laughs) full body search (laughs) yeah i mean it is very candid but in a really fun, like, playful way, not mm. an explicit, like, gross-out way, not at all. It's very sort of of its era, actually, in the same way as those mm. old-fashioned films used to do that sort of thing. Yeah. And we should say as well that the dialogue is often pithy and funny as well. It's not like these reams of text that you'd get on a, on a fantasy RPG. It's really pithy, like, one-line answers, each of which have a distinct flavour. And so they're fun to choose, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of them... Fun and funny. I'm trying to think of now, we've played some funny games in fairness, but I laughed out loud a lot during this mm. this game. And actually, I immediately went online and checked out Inkle's other games. I was like, oh, this is great. What else can I play by them? It was so imaginative. I think that's what I liked about it because it's not complex. Like, well, it's not complex visually. It's almost like a comic strip, the style of art. Mm. And the images are static almost like Disco Elysium, where you've got like a character portrait at the side and then some Mm -hmm. options. There's no movement. 
they're not really animated, are they? No, and in fact, the one animation that there is, which is your husband falling overboard, it's cool, but it's like, it really stands out because it's like this cardboard cutout just falling into the sea, like a paper silhouette. Yeah. But yeah, mostly it's just different images changing. The other thing in terms of replaying it is that, and we alluded to this a little bit, is that you, each time you have a different objective, but you kind of have the ability to make those objectives yourself. So like I said, when I realised you could kill multiple people, I was like, oh, how many people can I kill? And then I went through with a playthrough. Another one that I was really tempted to do, didn't actually do it in the end, because that's something, I don't know if you found it with this game, you're like, you start thinking, I'm going to do this, but then an option <laughs> presents yourself and you get thrown off course because it seems too exciting and tempting to ignore. Um, so, for instance, one of my options was I just wanted to stay in bed all day and see what happened. Like, what happens if I just... Because every scene, pretty much, you can just stay in bed or stay in the chair if you're in a room with a chair or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's true. If you're in the top deck, you can just look out over the sea. I just wondered, like, what does a game do if you just stay in bed all day? Mm. There's a few times, if you take the pill, for instance, at the beginning, so you find some sleeping pills, Mm. And this will bring us on to a topic I know you wanted to discuss, Taylor. Yeah. But if you take some sleeping pills that you find in your cabinet at the beginning, they absolutely knock you out. And the game basically just ends immediately because you get woken up by Anders. He kind of slaps you awake and says, yeah, we're finding you guilty. Come to the damn restaurant. You slag, you murderess. No way. <laughs> That's really cool and quite uh, imaginative by you, I think. I definitely, like... Like you say, everywhere there's the option to just wait. But I never thought about just waiting until the end of the day to see what happens. So that's really cool. Because I was also curious about the waiting. Like, it's always given as an option. So you sort of think, like, well, it must do something. But then sometimes mm. you just get a nice little bit of description. Like, if you wait at the top rail, yeah. like, first you see birds, then you see fish, you know, clouds scudding across the sky or something. Mm. So sometimes it feels like you're just prompting more description. But then if you wait in your cabin, what happens is a note gets dropped off and it's like blackmailing you and it says chapel at 2pm if you don't want your name revealed and stuff like that oh really yeah so if you do that then you go to the chapel at 2pm normally when you go to the chapel and you're not meeting someone you speak with god mm. <laughs> there's this cross yeah. and god's very sassy I, I really enjoyed his portrayal and you have this dynamic and a little bowl where you can donate money as well or steal the money oh did you steal it yeah at one point there's 200 dollars in there and you can just take it oh you're kidding because that's the other thing yeah so the blackmailer in this instance it turns out to be a trap but someone else is a blackmailer and it becomes one of your objectives can you save up this much money and i was like oh yeah i'm gonna give that one a shot and i the most i managed to get was like 300 dollars or whatever ah but what did you play cards with casters no no i didn't play cards either you didn't play cards wow it's i can't believe we had such different experiences i flopped the nut straight motherfucker you fool your nut motherfucker that is it that's it what the fuck are you talking about that's it take it yeah, down yeah. no more no not tonight this son of bitch all night, he chick, 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 he tripped me. Well, you feeling satisfied now, Teddy? Because I can go on busting you up all night. Yet, yet. He beat me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. One of the things which happened on my first playthrough was Lady Armstrong said, 
oh, Anders has this secret, but I'll only give it to you for $1,000. I was like, huh? Some sort of arbitrary sum. I offered her my earrings, but she only wanted cash. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like you're some sort of pawn shop. That's classic, Dale. <sighs> I was like, well, $1,000, that's actually quite a lot. I think you find like $300 in your husband's wallet and then there's $200 from the church play. But I think the only way you can do it, and I didn't manage to do it, was by playing blackjack with Carstairs. But it is the same cards every time. So like I said, I didn't do it. But if you wanted to, you could know exactly what cards were going to come up and know when to do the bets and when not to. Uh, Um, So you could really... Like in Back to the Future, you've got knowledge of the outcome. Yeah. So you could really game that system if if you wanted to go there and win that and the maximum amount of money. Because you can bet like everything that you've got. You could actually make it quite quickly. Oh, so you could play in order to accrue as much money as possible before playing cards, then play cards, yeah. bet everything and make loads. Yeah. See, what? Well, and you didn't do that. See, I'd have been like, right, that's a new objective. I was literally, I'll show you my little, I'm holding up a picture to tell now. <laughs> this, don't know if you can see it. It's like the sequence of events mm. I was trying to do. Can you see that or not? Yeah, I can see it, yeah. It is quite small. But it, like, shows the sequence where I'm like... Wow, that's quite complicated. Uh, yeah, well, what people are doing in, like, the cabin or in the smoking room or in the aft cabins mm. and at what time. And then I was like, so this is the order I've got to do it. And I was writing little numbers by it. But then, obviously, it wouldn't work. And then I'd have to think, oh, fuck, I've got to redo these things. But it was really fun. You know how I love a game where I have to get out my notebook mm. to start it's plotting true. cards. So very investigative of you. So I go up to Pepe's office and what do I find out, man? What do I find out? There is no Pepe Sylvia. The man does not exist, okay? So I decided, oh shit, buddy, I gotta dig a little deeper. There's no Pepe Sylvia, you gotta be kidding me. I got boxes full of Pepe. Okay, so two things that this little discussion has touched on so far, but we haven't actually discussed. One is the rooms. The other is the pills. The pills. And I know that your intro apparently makes reference to madness too subtle too subtle for some yeah no i mean i don't have that much to say on this other than like i guess the game is playing the time period that it's in with this because basically you yourself lady billinsley you can be framed for being mad or not framed but one of the things that can happen at the end is that if the sleeping pills if you leave them in your room they'll always be found and someone will say Oh, we found these in your in your room, and basically paints you as being mentally unstable because you have sleeping pills. It's like, huh? You're framed as mad, which is obviously a really classic plot device and like trope in literature in general. But you can use that to your advantage, so you can frame the person your husband's having an affair with or starting to have an affair with, Miss Turpentine, if you take the sleeping pills, put them in her room, and then instead of them being found in your room, they're found in hers. And so you can paint her as being mad, and then she's obviously the one that did it. Or you disbelieve her evidence. So yeah, I don't know. That was just, that's just that's true of the time in the, which the game was set, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I just thought it was I don't know, like a little bit. Yeah, I think it does lean into those tropes. I've got to say, when I played that, because I did frame Clarissa with the, um, I left the wallet in her room and I left the pills there as well. And then I subtly slash not subtly at all brought the conversation around to that. Like, oh, she must be terrible dealing with the guilt. I wonder if you need anything for that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? At which point the steward, if I haven't killed him, or Anders is like, yeah, I did find these pills in her room. 
and the symptoms is classic. I think that's what it leans into because the symptoms says like causes blackouts, causes confusion, causes neuroses and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so I didn't read it because I read that symptom label. I didn't think like, oh, it's so easy for them to just be like, oh, madness, whatever. Instead, I thought, oh, this is clever. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I just thought, oh, it's easy to paint women as being mad. And I'm sure it was easy to paint women as being mad then, and it's, it's still. Mm. Although the theme of madness on boats is not confined to women, because there's, oh, what's the Evelyn War book? I think it's The Ordeal of Gilbert Pinfold, or Penfold, The Ordeal of, mm. yeah, Gilbert Pinfold, is his kind of autobiographical journey aboard a cruise ship. And it's his descent into madness. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. I'd recommend that to all our listeners. And it really, while I was playing this game, even though this is very silly, and that book, especially for Evelyn War, is not at all silly. It's like actually quite wrenching. Mm. It was evocative of that. Like as I was playing it, I was thinking, oh yeah, this reminds me of, of that in many ways. And he's obviously a man in that. And it is prompted as well. His madness is, is real. Like I said, it's autobiographical. Mm. And he did get it from taking too many pills uh, okay yeah i mean and i can't remember exactly when evelyn war was writing but he's round about this ballpark isn't it this period of time yeah it would have been yeah yeah it's true madness on boats guess you got like moby dick heart of darkness there's a few out there yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah and also one of the things i liked about the um the pills is that Immediately, there's loads of things you can do with them in a way that I didn't find. Like, I know, for instance, you I found that key as well that you found and you switched tags mm. with the brilliant genius. <laughs> really vexed I didn't think of it. But for instance, I took a sheet of terrible poetry from uh, Clarissa's room and she's been writing all these love letters or like love poems about your husband and you obviously mm. didn't like your husband, so you really couldn't give a shit that she's written all this love poetry. You're just very scornful of it. It is terrible poetry. And <laughs> submitted by Twitter followers, by the way, I think, or like maybe game backers oh, cool. um, or something like that. But there's a massive list of credits at the end, and it's just loads of Twitter handles of people who submitted terrible poetry. But you can take a sheet of that poetry, and I was like, oh, I wonder what you can do with this. And I never did find out. And there's, there's a few things like that where you have the option. So, for instance, you have the option to send your jacket back to your room, mm. your husband's jacket, which he's left in the smoking room. I never figured out, like, what influence that has on anything. Well, I don't know. So what happened when you left your husband's wallet in Clarissa's room? They just find it. They say, oh, yeah, I did find this wallet there as well. It's, like, compounds the evidence against her that, like, he has been there. She, He was probably the last person with her. Mm. That will definitely be to do with who was in the smoking room when you retrieved your husband's wallet then because for me i put the husband's wallet there as well thinking like oh yeah this will totally frame her and make her look way more guilty but then as soon as that was revealed my whole case fell down because the major was like isn't that the wallet which you took out of your husband's jacket this morning what's it doing in a room <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point like my case had completely crumbled because it was so, so clear that I had planted it. Yeah. So that's really funny that it can work both ways. The same with the diamonds, right? You mentioned you tried to trade your diamond earrings 
because the mm. the sort of not a MacGuffin, but like a key plot point at the very start is that one of your earrings is missing. You've assumed that you've left it on deck, but if you go there and look, you can't find it. And the reason is it's been found by someone else on the boat. Mm. So I thought, oh, well, if I hide my earring, if I take it off and pocket it and no one sees me wearing the other one, they won't know that it's mine. But actually, you say, you know, later on, they're like, oh, isn't that your earring? And you're like, no. And he's like, yeah, it is. You were telling me about them before yesterday evening or whatever. And you're like, fuck, I didn't know that. Like, there's this back catalogue of information from her life that you didn't know until you played the game. Yeah, yeah. But that kind of brings me on to one of the things. It does sound like a difference in the way we played it. Like, you saw it as a playground in which so many things were possible. Whereas I saw it as quite a linear, like, in order to succeed, I have to do this thing. And one of those things was the first thing you do, it's probably why I didn't discover many of the things in in your cabin, is that I thought, oh, I've always got to be up first, onto the top deck, get that earring so it isn't found by anyone else. I just thought, like, this is a thing which I have to do in every playthrough in order to... Oh, so you can actually... Because I never managed to get there before Carstairs. You're too concerned bashing the steward over there with that dolphin every time. I didn't always kill him. Sometimes I went to breakfast. Sometimes I went to the smoking room while everyone else was at breakfast to get the wallet because I didn't want to get seen. Mm. But as soon as I thought, well, I need to be first to the earring and it worked, I just... I did that every time and... I don't know, maybe that's not imaginative, but I just thought, I can't leave the earring there. Like, Ah, that, see, I think that's why when you replayed, you felt like it was annoying to have to click back through all the options because you weren't really changing anything. You were like, oh, this is, I have to do that. So I just play through that scene the same. Yeah, this is what I mean by a process of elimination to get the correct outcome is the, well, the earring's a good example of that. The other example is, is getting with Anders. I just thought every time I've got to do this, So I've got to collect my earring. I've got to go to the bridge to seduce Anders. I've got to be at my cabin between 10 and 11 to get the passkey. I had this list of things which I knew were going to be essential to my success that I had to do each time. Right. Rather than being a bit more playful with it. Well, but so did you just assume that the game only let you have one route to success? Because I kind of took it for granted that I could achieve the desired outcome in any number of ways. Mm. And even when I completed it, I was like, well, that's one outcome. I wonder what the other 30 are or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And no, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it because the game doesn't. And I think this could be conveyed better to the player because even in like Monster Prom, which we played, it's like you've unlocked this many endings out of so many. In this, there's none of that. So you're never really sure how many possible endings there are. Maybe there are just so many that they couldn't list them but i don't know there are only so many spinning newspapers perhaps they could have augmented it by offering that information that is a good point like maybe if they'd have said i mean they sort of do a bit with the achievements Mm. like the fact that i got an achievement for killing two people made me think i wonder if i can get an achievement for killing three and when i could i was like okay this is a thing how many people can i kill maybe if they literally gave you that more explicitly but at the same time isn't that part of the joy is like what happens if i do this it's a bit like you know you're in a room you're given a, an array of 30 buttons and if you just push one of them nothing seems to happen you're like well i'll try pushing another one and eventually something happens and then you're like well i wonder if i push them in a different order it's that sort of thing it's like i don't know what's going to happen when i randomly push these buttons so i can have fun with it yeah, but if but if the button example is incredibly dry analogy, <laughs> actually, yeah, not one of my finest one, analogies, one, is it? <laughs> oh, we haven't had one of those in a while. One which I actually relate to a little bit with this game is because, say, you've got that array of thirty buttons and you press each one, it's like red, 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 red. As soon as you press the one which gives you green, 
you're going to start with the green button each time, aren't you? You're going to be like, oh, so three gives me green. So I'll always start with three and then find the next one that gives me green. That's the way I approached it. Maybe I've just been working as a developer for like too long now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) maybe because I gave you the 30 buttons, but you decided whether they were red or green. And you've given yourself a binary option then. Mm. This is actually much more like you've got your 30 buttons. (laughs) They start red. They start red, you push one and it turns blue, you push another and it turns green, you push a third and it turns yellow, and you're like, oh, okay. And then you push another and it turns yellow, and another and it turns yellow, and you're like, hello, got a string of yellows here. I wonder what happens if I I make a longer string of yellows. And then next time you're like, I wonder if I can get a string of blues as well. (laughs) Yeah. Now you're looking at strings of (laughs) colours. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, I love this version. I love your perspective on the game and the version of this analogy. But that, unfortunately, wasn't how I felt when I was playing the game. And it actually reminded me a bit of... I haven't played Into the Breach, but it's like a chess-like puzzle. So, like, yeah, okay, this is a good one. So when you get a puzzle in chess and there's one way to get the checkmate or find the stalemate or whatever, I was looking at the game like that, except instead of pieces, I had dialogue options. Mm. So you're right. I, I guess I just didn't think about the the potential for different ways to get away with it enough. When you completed it and it said, what did it say? What was your challenge? Because I had, can you frame some? Can you initially, I think, I can't remember if it prompted me to frame someone. I think I just framed them. Mm. But then when I got blackmailed, I thought, oh, it's because the maid. Because I don't know when you were shagging um, Anders. Did the maid walk in? No. Ah, so when I was shagging Anders, the maid walked in? Interesting. I was like, shit. When I got blackmailed, I was like, I bet it's the maid. Because she, like, actually goes to the room. And there was, like, a body there. And there's blah, blah, blah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So then I was like, oh, I have to be back at the room at that same time the maid's there. So I can tell her not to come in the room, which the game does let you do. So if you're there, you can say like, I don't need my room cleaning, go away, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I thought that was a way of avoiding it. And at the end of the game, I got prompted to, can you make someone else confess? And I'll be honest, I didn't even know where to start with that. Did you manage to Uh, make any headway on that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That was one of the ways. So you paint Miss Turpentine as being mad and you basically browbeat her into thinking that she did it. She was like, oh, I don't think I was up, but maybe I was. And like, maybe I did push it. Oh, my God. And then she feels really guilty and you're like comforting her like there, there. And then afterwards, all your dialogue options are kind of like, ah, oh, it's so sad. It's so sad, isn't it? Such a young girl went through such a bad, like was driven to such an action by such a terrible man like my husband kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That would have probably been my next objective. And I wonder if I'd have completed it like that, whether the game would have given me a new objective. Like, for instance, with the smuggled woman, I never really understood the, um, other than sort of goading Carstairs with that information because he's the one who smuggled her on. She's a German. Mm. You don't really find out why she's there he's very cagey about giving you that information and i thought i can leverage it and the first couple of times she's got a cricket bat and you walk in and you're like oh so you managed to get into the room because it's bolted from the inside she's holding this bat and she's afraid and she's like threatening you but you don't speak german so you can say oh i don't speak a german i'm a friend i'm a friend but if you take too long she just smashes you over the head with a cricket bat and that happened the first couple of times and then i realized that i you basically just can't stay in the room. You have to get in and then back out immediately before she 
clonks you mm. out. Because if she clonks you out, it's like the tablets. You get woken up and it's game over for you. Yeah. And I didn't figure out, like, what else can you do with that information? Like, how can you weaponize mm. this German with a cricket bat? Can you use the cricket bat at any point? Do you know what I mean? There's, like, all mm. these kind of questions that each new revelation prompts your imagination with. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. For me, it was a lot more like... I had most of the formula and then I was just refining the formula on each playthrough to get the ending that I wanted at the end. And then, because that was the first time that I managed to frame someone else for it when Miss Turpentine kind of like half confesses to doing it. At that point was when I got the blackmail note, which we've mentioned quite a few times already. And at that point, I knew that the game hadn't really captured me because I didn't want to go back in and do it. I thought, oh, I thought I'd completed it now. Oh no, really? Within 10 playthroughs as well, you were feeling like that. That is a shame. Were you using the fast forward button? Yeah, I was using the fast forward button a lot. Well, quite a lot anyway. Some bits I was like refining and doing a bit differently each time, but the fast forward button just wasn't fast enough for me. Yeah, so I wonder if they could get around that by giving you basically a shortcut to jump to the room and the time that you want to change stuff so that you don't quite have to do the groundhog mm. tedium of the morning. Yeah, starting at a different time of day, that would be a really good feature actually. But I think that would maybe come at the expense. I think, well, basically, I think you'd be pandering to pairs like me <laughs> if you introduced that feature. Yeah, because you'd l- remove all the discovery. Whereas actually, I think the way that you played it is the preferable way. Like as a designer, I'd want to design for a player like you rather than a player like me. Someone who wanted to just experiment with all the different options and like see what they could break, see what they could do. Yeah. You know, these guys are from, I think, Cambridge. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, young guys by looks, but really, really cool work history from each of them. John Ingold, narrative director, lead designer at Sony Computer Entertainment Europe. But before that, school teacher. Mm. He also used to play jazz trombone. As I was reading this stuff, I was like, I love these guys. I want to go to Cambridge and hang out. And the other guy was uh, Joseph Humphrey, art and code director. And he was six years in consoles, Nintendo DS, PlayStation Move and Kinect, Xbox Kinect. Mm. So it's really interesting how they did all that kind of like what you'd consider, I guess, sort of AAA, you know, the blockbuster titles and platforms Mm. before actually doing this really, really innovative indie game design. Yeah. And not taken away from it, like it is really innovative and their games are very unique for sure. Especially in indie games, because you know me, I'm like, I do enjoy an indie game. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of inferior product mm. under the mantle of indie. They get away with a lot of amateur shit is what I reckon happens. Then you come across something like this where you're like, wow, they just weren't at all constrained by yeah. budget limitations. Yeah, you're Lucas Popes of this world who've just basically managed to uh, well, like get their creative genius into a game at a very low budget. Uh, yeah, shows what you can do with the medium. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we touched on the music already, but I thought the music added so much. Didn't you love the music? Like, it's all jazz. It reminds me of a great film called, which actually is a film adaptation of Vile Bodies by Evelyn Moore. Mm. The film's called Bright Young Things, and it's directed by Stephen Fry. Mm. And the music through it is exactly like music in this, with like your sort of ragtime and trad jazz and like other stuff going on. It's brilliant. Yeah, I vaguely remember watching that film with you, actually. Yeah. Maybe so. I did an interview with Stephen Campbell Moore, who's the lead in that film, many years ago. Are you a butterfly or a bee? Excuse me? Do you want to flit around looking pretty, doing nothing, or do you want to make honey? I can't figure you out. Your father worked for a living. A Greek professor, wasn't he? 
Well, a professor off Greek rather than a Greek professor. Yeah, never get cute with someone you owe money to. Oh, that was fun. That was fun times. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it so much because that's what I was. That's what I was nervous about. I was like, I'm not really sure I can like wax lyrical about this game because I just didn't didn't really connect with it. I can't believe you didn't. I totally thought you were going to come on and do like your Lucas Pope enthusiasm where you were going to be like, oh, it's just such a gem of a game. Like it is such a gem of a game. Mm -hmm. And just everything, it was so well composed. It didn't outstay its welcome. Oh, loved it. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Cool. And I'm glad this has been a victory for indie games as well, because you're right, there can be like a lot of trash out there. Same is true of more expensive games. But yeah. if you can find the gems, then you can find ones which are different to other things that we play. The other thing is, we got some housekeeping, haven't we, Tay? Uh, do we? Ooh, what, what housekeeping? What's, what's gone on in the world of Pixel Vision recently? Oh, yeah. It would be worth mentioning on the podcast <laughs> oh, yeah. um so it's our it's a re-release uh, is it is it big enough to call it a re-release i mean it's not really a re-release it's a restructuring <laughs> that makes it sound so boring <laughs> get david brent in here to do a restructuring of the pixel vision brand <laughs> um, yeah okay it's not that big of a deal but I think in some ways it's a, it's quite an, it's quite a big deal. Yeah, it's we've cool. changed our website dramatically. Mm. We've moved from a from an indie website created by Teo mm. to fall under a corporate umbrella <laughs> of Substack where we are now offering everything that we do as a sort of combination, right, of a newsletter and a podcast. Yeah. So head over to pixelvision.net Throw in your email address if you want. You don't have to. You can still just listen to the pod on your podcasting app and read the articles on the website. Totally free, by the way. Mm. Or you can sign up and get them delivered straight into your inbox. Also free, just with the email address. Mm. Or if you're like, oh, this is too much free stuff. God, these guys, these legends. I'd love to throw them a couple of quid. Then you can sign up voluntarily. You don't get anything extra, no, because uh, we're all about we're an egalitarian model, aren't we, Teo? Yeah, we are by donation. Exactly. So you can also just support us out of the good of your hearts. Yeah, and so so previously we mentioned it a few times that was on Patreon, so that's now gone in favour of the the Substack subscriptions. But yeah, although I'm sad to see the website go because that was one of the first projects that I made after I learnt to code. Overall the substack is considerably more convenient both for us to manage it and also for people who want to find everything that we've created. In fact, if you did notice that our schedule slipped and you thought, oh, those Pixel Vision boys are a week late. Well, the reason for that was because we were moving between platforms mm. and it wasn't without the odd hiccup. Yes. But I think we're there now, aren't we, Tay? Yeah, I think so. And you've got some new articles up there already. So if you're really, really thinking, oh, yeah, I want to check this out, well, go on, run away to pixelvision.net, sign up, and uh, read all our articles. <laughs> yeah, do it. Go on, then. What are we playing next? This is an appropriate day to announce what we're doing next, because even though for the listeners this is going to go out in a while, for us today, we are recording this on May the 4th. Are we not? No though? way! No way. Look at him. Look at his little face lighting up with joy. Such a simple pleasure from a date. That is, no, 
no, that is such a simple pleasure. But we're we're recording on May the fourth. May the fourth be with you. And that leads us to our next game, Teo, which is. Jedi Fallen Order. Wait, is that what it's called? Jedi Fallen Order? Something like that. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? It's the Star Wars, the, the essential bit that I'd forgotten the title bit. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. <laughs> yeah, which felt like it came out only yesterday, but apparently it was three years ago, so about time we played it. I reckon it's still going to feel very fresh. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if my experience of playing Alien Isolation is anything to go by, because when I played that, that's a 2017 game, and I remember playing it thinking like, this could have been made fucking yesterday. Mm. It was great. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I played a Star Wars game. Literally can't remember the last one I played. Yeah, we've we've never done one on the pod. Yeah, we've never done one on the pod. Definitely have played one since Shadows of the Empire, but that is still the one which lives on the biggest in my head. So yeah, maybe we've been comparing it to that next time. And it's a massive, well-established world that we can sort of really embarrassingly get wrong in multiple <laughs> ways. And another huge audience that we can ostracise. So I'm looking forward to those things yeah, too. Yeah, the, the, the website Rock Paper Shotgun do this really funny thing, which any article about Star Wars, they put up a picture of Star Trek and like get all the references to Star Trek wrong. And any game about Star Trek, they do the same thing, but with Star Wars, like just to piss off those super fans. I think it's really funny. That is funny. But to be clear, I don't really want to piss off my listener base. That was a joke. No, no, no. We won't be doing it on purpose, but... No, no, we're just not very good at our jobs. That's the problem. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a wrap, though. Cool. Brilliant. Initially, when you said we had some news, I was like, do the listeners care that I've moved to Vietnam? <laughs> were they worried that like, my mum kept coming and looking at the games I was playing and they were thinking, oh, is this guy still living with his mum? What's going on? But no, listeners, no. It was just temporary. <laughs> I'm now out of the country. That is a good point, actually. That hadn't even occurred to me. But if I'd have been a listener, I think I would have been like, oh, bit of a stereotype there. Yeah. <laughs> Gamer living at home with his mum yeah. in his basement, maybe. <laughs> yeah barn conversion but yeah whatever a little bit more middle class <laughs> in the basement actually it's a barn conversion <laughs>